theory crafting, key differences, and kingdom hearts. Showing the monster too soon? Nostalgia is a good thing, and if it's even fair to compare original and remake. I'm the Well-Read Mage, and this is MageCast. Hey, it's good to be back with you. Thanks for saving my seat. Uh, there's a lot to catch up on, isn't there? How have you been? Me? Busy, tired, and what do you know, almost dead. But glad that's all behind me. The future is shining bright because MageCast is finally, finally back. More discussion, more in-depth, more at length, more magic. It's an excitingly creative time to be alive. On this episode of Triumphant Return, we are talking about Final Fantasy VII Remake. My special guest is John, a.k.a. Sector Six, content creator, lorist, and theorist, who has built a successful platform on the basis of analyzing the direction of this remake that's not a remake. I could not think of a better guest for this episode, and I know you'll find out why if you listen. I'm happy to present to you a rich conversation on the unique nature of Final Fantasy VII Remake, its characters, its universe, and its future. MageCast is the podcast for conversationalists in a world where we've already stopped listening to each other. To learn more, visit thepixels.com, that's the-pixels.com, and patreon.com forward slash thepixels. All right, welcome back, listeners. Uh, welcome back. It's been a very long time. I have not done an episode of MageCast since October. So uh, I'm happy to be back, be back in the saddle, and uh, be back reunited with somebody who I just talked with last week. Uh, this this is kind of a reunion episode for us. Yes. Uh, I'm speaking with John, uh, a.k.a. Sector 6. How are you today, sir? I'm brilliant, thank you. How about yourself? I'm doing fantastic. Uh, I think I'm really excited for this. I think it's going to be kind of like uh, a prequel or sequel to or requel to our other conversation that we had on this subject. It definitely uh, fits with the meta themes. Yes. 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 So take that as <laughs> as you will. Uh, but John, I, I wonder if you wouldn't mind uh, giving our listeners just a little bit about yourself, what you do, what your interests are. Uh, brilliant. Yeah. So my name's John. Um, on YouTube, I go by set to six. Uh, and what I do is I cover news and theories and everything like that around the world of Final Fantasy VII uh, and Final Fantasy VII Remake. Um, so yeah, any kind of new news that drops, I kind of look into it. So at the minute, we're looking at the recent Ultimania Plus that dropped, uh, kind of looking at translations because, you know, we obviously have to wait for these things. Mm-hmm, <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, that's going to be a big focus for the next few weeks. And also the new light novel that's dropped, which is A Trace of Two Pasts, uh, which is kind of like a background story for Tifa and Aerith. And it seems like it comes up to and including remake. So it seems like there's content in that that goes on during the timeline of remake. So yeah, it's going to be a very interesting few weeks. Really? Wow. Yeah. Okay. So you stay on top of this stuff. I mean, like uh, the I reason why you're, yeah, I mean, <laughs> clearly you do. I mean, the reason why I asked you to be on the show even was, uh, was, I was like, man, this, uh, this guy's like the expert on this stuff. Uh, so I'm happy to talk with you about final fantasy oh. seven remake. Uh, I wanted to ask you why, why theories, why, why fan theories? What is kind of like the appeal uh, to you there? It's kind of, 
it's the joy of solving the problem to a certain extent because uh-huh. there's all these questions that are kind of left out there that just left hanging once you get to the end of remake and just the prospect of being able to get your head around that it's it's just really appealing to me it's an enjoyable process and even though 95 percent of what i say is probably going to end up being wrong it's the journey that's fun uh, it's mm. really an enjoyable thing like solving a riddle that's cool. yeah exactly that is cool. I can definitely see the appeal of that. Uh, and right now you're doing the Big Seven series. Yes. Uh, would you like to talk about that at all? Uh, yeah, so the Big Seven it is a series where I get other content creators from various spectrums. So you've got people that are more law-focused. You've got people that are more into the cinematics and things like that. You've got people that have a more broad scope on things. And I just want to kind of get everyone's opinions and experiences with Final Fantasy VII because we do get caught up in the future theorizing and the news and everything like that. And I think it's good to see this connection that people have got with the game and where that came from. Yeah, I think it's lovely. Uh, I'm looking forward to the totality of this series being out so everybody can listen to it. Uh, There is one episode out, I believe, at the time of this recording. Um, So go ahead and listen to that, folks. Uh, There will be links in the description. And that's um, yeah, that's the first episode with Schrodin. Oh no, I can't even say his name now. Schrodinger's <laughs> baby seal. Uh, it doesn't roll off also, the tongue. No, it doesn't. It's not an easy one. No. <laughs> but he's also <laughs> someone who's doing similar sort of things. Like he runs a podcast called Seal Team Seven, where nice. he gets creators from the community, and it becomes kind of like a melting pot. And and that's kind of where I got the idea for mine from. Kind of wanting a more one to one perspective with some of these people as well, because you get a more broad scope. Then you've got both. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, and I can I can really see um, the enthusiasm that you have for the project. And the concept is fantastic of just bringing together multiple people with diverse views uh, and diverse thoughts on this subject. Um, oh, yeah, because no, no two people agree on this. That's the beauty of like the franchise in general, I think. There's so oh, yeah. many different opinions <laughs> because of... I mean, Sakaguchi spoke about it, how a lot of early game making, it came down to things like negative space and leaving your imagination in the same way that when you read a book, your imagination Mm -hmm. does a lot of the work. And because Mm -hmm. of that, people have got really solid opinions. And I I really just like hearing everyone's opinions on it. It's brilliant. It definitely is. Brilliant is a perfect word for it. Uh, Well, yeah, definitely look out for that series. It's going to be great. Uh, There will be many, many great episodes besides for the one that I'm on. So yes. definitely look forward to that. <laughs> but tonight, uh, this is MageCast, episode 55, uh, titled Reunion. And we are talking about Final Fantasy VII Remake, which was released April 2020 by Square Enix on PlayStation 4. Uh, to kind of get us started as an opening question, uh, is it even fair, in your view, to compare the original and the remake? I mean, the remake is just a small section of the original game. We don't know how many episodes yeah. or chapters it's going to be. Do you think it's a fair? It's fair to compare them. In some ways, yes. As as standalone games, I believe yes, because like even though remake is only part of the narrative, you can still judge it as a complete game in and of itself. Mm-hmm. So you can look at the mechanics of the game, the flow of the game, the pacing of the game, and compare that to Final Fantasy VII original. But I think a thing a lot of people are getting caught up in doing is trying to compare the narratives, and it's like, we're so far away from the completion of this narrative. Just kind of ease back a little bit, maybe, and see where it goes. So I think, yeah, Yeah. in some ways you can. 
Yeah. I mean, and that's your, that's your, your, and shtick is a bad word for it, but that's your, yeah. that's your impulse, right? Is that, you know, we're still kind of guessing and feeling our way through the direction that this narrative will go and the way that it takes shape. Yeah. Um, but I think, too, generally we agree that it, you can compare these two games yes. as standalones. Yeah, because that's what they've been marketed as, definitely. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And that's what it is. It is a complete game. There's a start, there's a finish, there's an end. So right. you have to be able to judge it in that way, 100%. Exactly, exactly. Okay, so by the way, spoilers ahead. If you've not played Final <laughs> Fantasy VII and you don't want things spoiled for you, if you've not played Final Fantasy VII Remake and you don't want things spoiled for you, we are going to talk in depth about these things for probably four hours. <laughs> like a, a very long time. Uh, we'll try and keep it concise here, but uh, yes. whew, we got our work cut There's out for us. There's yes. a lot. <laughs> yeah. yeah, as I was saying before, there's some people that have feelings about this game, so uh, yes. there's a lot of ground for us to cover. But starting off, just to get an overview on this, uh, let's lead with some mage facts. Uh, so including ports, Final Fantasy VII, that is the original, is the best-selling Final Fantasy game at approximately 17 million units sold. Final Fantasy VII Remake broke the record for fastest-selling PS4 exclusive at the time, and it crossed 5 million units sold way back in August 2020. And I tried to find more recent numbers. Mm. Uh, do you know of any recent numbers? I, I do not. I've not really okay. looked at it, if I'm being completely honest. I, I want to know where the other 12 million went. What are they playing at? Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, so Remake has a lot of ground to catch up with if it wants to... Yeah meet the numbers that final fantasy 7 hit i think uh, when we see it drop on pc at some point we could see that happen because i mean 7's been released on so many platforms it's insane yes yes and it does say that's including ports so yeah. uh we all know it's you know it's a very important game for a lot of people it really like we were talking about on on your show uh you know it's kind of a, a gateway for a lot of people into the realm yeah. of rpgs well it was for me definitely yeah. So it's easy to see that, you know, why it would have sold that many yeah. million units for sure. Now, another fact that we've got here is that several key staff members have returned for Final Fantasy VII Remake. Now, this includes Nomura, Kitaze, Najima, uh, Uematsu, and Toriyama, although not the whole team back together. We are still missing Sakaguchi, which is a shame. Yes. So this is an important point to bring up and i think it addresses a lot of questions that people have such as questions that we got from arcade castle who asked is this the truer more complete final fantasy 7 by that i mean with advances in technology a more complete telling of final fantasy of final fantasy is possible uh, less hindered by limitations in hardware and software is this the more authentic and true Final Fantasy VII. What what do you think about that, especially in relation to not all of the original creators returning? I think, I think in some ways you can say that it is because so far they have retold most of the events that occur in Final Fantasy VII, and they have expanded on them in ways that they potentially wanted to back then. I think that is the benefit of most of the team being back mm -hmm. because they can do some of these things, but. Another thing to think about is over the 20 years since the game released, they've had a lot of time to think about these things. So a lot of things that they may have wanted to do back then, 
the no, you know, the no longer interested in doing, or they've tweaked it to a point where it's semi unrecognizable. So it's a bit of a tough one to say whether it's more authentic. I do think one thing I will say is I think we'll get a more authentic look at the world of Final Fantasy VII. I think mm. that's going to be the big thing that we get a lot more of. Um, a lot more expansion on locations, a lot more characters, you know, just fleshing out of everything more than right. anything. Right. I'm, I'm skeptical of saying exactly that it is a more authentic retelling of Seven. Yeah. Not, not merely because of the absences of key creators like Sakaguchi, but also because Seven Remake includes meta-narrative yes. that some people are believing references the original story as a separate timeline, universe, what have you. Yeah, there's uh, that view of it being like a story layered on top of a story, or right. being layered on top of another story. Right, and then therefore, by the nature of that meta narrative, that could not have been in the original, because the original yes. wouldn't have had an original to refer to beyond yes. itself. So. Exactly. I, I yeah, I think that there's probably a, a balance in that question. Uh, yeah. That there are things I think like you're right that the world and the way that it's presented and crafted and expanded could be more authentic to the original vision of this game. Uh, but there's clearly been additions that have been made yes. in remake, and you're right over time to sort of the canon of seven. And yeah, narratively as well, these changes that they're going within the story of remake which we'll dive into later, but the changes that they're making, they're only going to increase, and that kind of, it limits it, 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 it makes it impossible for it to be a more authentic retelling of the original story, if you right. get what I mean. Because yeah. this additional narrative, which is framed from looking back at the original story, and like that's the bad outcome, you can't have that and be authentic, if you know what I mean. Exactly. Now, yeah. the second that we see Remake Cloud holding hands with PS1 Polygonal Cloud is going to be I mean, the moment that <laughs> it's no longer the same authentic story at all. At all. Zach yeah. hiding in a bush. Right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> all right. This next one here says, an upgraded version of Final Fantasy VII Remake was released for PlayStation 5, referred to as Final Fantasy VII Remake Intergrade. A PS5 exclusive expansion called Episode Intermission featured Yuffie Kisaragi. Uh, have you played that version? Sadly, I am I am one of the unwashed masses that still doesn't have a PS5. Oh, that's um, the majority of the planet, yeah, so that's okay. <laughs> we'll get there. We'll achieve godhood one day. Right, right, right. <laughs> but no, I, I have spoiled myself completely on it. Um, I've watched a few streams. Uh, I watched Baby Seal, his stream. He streamed the entirety of the game, so I watched that. Uh, and then I watched a few others on YouTube as well, just so I had a few different perspectives. Uh, yeah, I've completely spoiled it. Oh, awesome. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, I've watched the new uh, ending for yes. Intergrade, um, so there is that. But uh, I've not watched anything on, on the Yuffie stuff yet. I think if I got a PS5, I'd be down to play this. But yeah, um, yeah. do you think that it meaningfully adds to the remake as a game? I believe it does in a way now... I don't want to say too much because I, I kind of know that there's a question coming where I'm going to delve into this a little bit more. Okay. But what I would say is it was useful for the purpose of testing the PS5, I believe. Oh. I, I think I think it was more of a transitional thing going from PS4 architecture to PS5 architecture. 
he wanted to make sure they had that nailed, iron out all the bugs, upgrade remake as well, because that was definitely needed with some of the texture issues. Um, and it's kind of give them a good foothold now to push on for part two. That's mm-hmm. what I think, at least. Now, with it being the first part of the series as well, uh, representing the remake project, I, I do think everything else is going to come out on PS5 as well. Uh, what that do you would seem think to make sense. That? Yeah. Yeah, no, I would agree with that. It seemed, I mean, there were people saying that the first one should have just waited for PS5. I think that's kind of what they were shooting for initially, but then I think there might have been some sort of delay with the PS5. I mean, obviously we're seeing all the supply issues now as yes. well. And yes. I, I think the may, I think that may have been the initial goal, but Sony was so far out, it was like, right, no, we'll have to do this on PS4. Right. And I think that kind of leans into where the Yuffie DLC comes in. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Uh, and final mage fact here, yes. Final Fantasy VII is not a remake. <laughs> it's just not. I, it's that. <laughs> I would agree with that. I, I genuinely would agree with that. You could say it's you could say it's partially a remake. I think the term requel definitely fits really well because right. it is remaking the world and it's remaking some of the experiences that we had, but it's doing it from the perspective of looking back at that and continuing on from that. So yeah, right. I, I think requel. And I really feel like remake, like, oh, it's a remake as in it's literally remaking the one story. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I, I so I mentioned this on, on your show yes. and I don't want to get into that too much. <laughs> but, uh, you know, there's there's I don't think there was any reason for us to have expected that it would have been a one for one remake, a verbatim no. remake. It could not have been because clearly yeah. it's a standalone game based on a five or six hour section from a PS one game for crying out loud. Uh, yeah. There's no way that they could no do that. There was always going to be additions and expansions right. and small corridors to walk through. Exactly. Like and I don't <laughs> believe that. I don't believe that uh, the presence of additions just by themselves necessitate it not being a remake, but I believe the yes. kind of, additions that are included where like again meta narrative uh introducing entirely new themes and plot devices that's to where i started to think this is a different story this is not a remake of of the story it's it's completely different so so like (laughs) i recently uh like just last night i watched john carpenter's the thing one of my favorite films love it yeah it's amazing my wife had never seen it before so that was a a delight to show oh yeah fantastic i think we're gonna watch it again it was so good um and then the night before we watched the thing from another world which i'd never seen uh and the black and white sort of original where the the monster is like a vegetable guy it sucks but <laughs> it had great sequence. I mean, there's like a kerosene sequence where they throw These it on moments. a guy. Yeah. And I was like, oh, my gosh, they lit that dude on fire. Uh, but, oh, my, no. <laughs> <laughs> but my point being that uh, they're, you know, they're both based on the book. Yes. But it's clear that one is a more loose adaptation yes. and one is a more faithful adaptation. So I believe you can make these these comparisons to the original source material. Uh, yes. If I was pressed, I would say that Final Fantasy VII Remake is more like the thing from another world to the original novella than it is to uh, the, the, the John Carpenter's The Thing. Yeah, yeah exactly. 
Um, yeah, I mean, I can see what you're saying there, definitely. And I think that does come from this, the perspectives that we're getting. So, like, with Sephiroth wanting to change how things went down, with Aerith wanting to change how things went down, and with the planet trying its very hardest to stop everyone from messing about with how things go down. And when when you've got all that sort of stuff going on on top of the remake, so to speak, it's always going to change it. Like, it's a guarantee. Exactly. Yeah, definitely. Um, we've got some loaded questions ahead. I was just going to say go. that. Let's yeah. go. So, uh, <laughs> you know, a big question kind of on the lines of what we're talking about here is, you know, is it faithful? Is it authentic? Here's a question. Does it need to be faithful? I think to a degree, yes. Because okay. it's definitely leaned on that nostalgia from, from fans of the game back in the 90s and early 2000s, like whenever we picked it up. Mm-hmm. It's leaned on that nostalgia for the original game in quite a heavy way. So I think for it to stop paying off on that would be a very bad idea because it would kind of freeze out even more people because there's already quite a large section of the fan base that's a bit, ooh, I'm not too sure about this. Mm-hmm. To I- become less faithful would expand that gap yeah i so it certainly seems to bank on that cloud strife clout uh that you're talking about (laughs) the the importance of the original uh so again from arcade castle we had a question uh quite loaded is everyone just (laughs) whining by complaining that it's not the exact same game released yet again on a new console seems like everyone wants a remake then complain when it's a remake yet also complain when games like gta 5 are released over and over again seems like a lot of people are blinded by their rose tinted glasses with nostalgia frames the remake is a blend of a new final fantasy game with an old remaster which people wanted yet don't want i'm confused Help me out here, y'all. Uh, this poor person has obviously had some intense conversations with yes. some fans and anti fans <laughs> of, of Final Fantasy VII Remake. So we all love, we all love it. It's a war oh, yeah. It is, it is. Uh, I want to say it's always been, but I don't know. Yeah. I don't remember arguing about Final Fantasy back in the day. The only argument that I remember for Final Fantasy back in the day was Seven versus Ocarina of Time. That was the Ooh. big argument that went down for me back then. And uh, obviously I'm in the FF7 camp. Obviously. <laughs> um, but yeah, that was that got heated. Yahoo message boards and stuff like that. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think as soon as you start introducing online and perfect strangers and anonymity, that yes. you start to get some vitriol there. So, Oh, definitely. Yeah. People, are well, uh, people are much more willing to say things. Yes. So I think that... For Arcade Castle's question here, yes, I mean it sounds like you and I do not believe it's a re- it's a remake. It's definitely not an exact remake. No, um, it. I don't even think it's the remake that many people either expected or asked for. Oh no, for me, I was expecting it to be like I said, like you were saying a minute ago, not a one for one remake of the original game, but the same narrative imagined again in this new technology. Now, right. When I got to the end, I was a bit disappointed by the fact it wasn't that. But then I just, the big thing for me was changing my viewpoint on it. And literally, when I stopped viewing it as a remake and started viewing it as a sequel, that was when it started making sense to me. And a lot of the problems, not all of the problems, but a lot of the problems went away for me at that point. 
Yeah. Uh, you know what? I can empathize with that. So when I first finished this game, uh, I was pretty furious because <laughs> yeah. I just dropped 60 bucks expecting something that was not this. Uh, did not at all expect, you know, plot ghosts and Sephiroth everywhere and all these differences that we'll talk about in a moment. Yes. <laughs> uh, so, I mean, so I had a link here for an interview with Nomura where they ask him about the nature of the term remake. Well, and he says, well. he's like, I wanted to have remake in the title to kind of assuage the fears of longtime fans. But the, re the term remake has a double meaning and I can't reveal that yet. So yes. evidently, I mean, it would make that as you will, but remake here is not a strict term. We agree upon that. What oh, exactly that means remains to be seen. But I personally felt like I was tricked into playing a different story that yeah. was not the same uh, story that I'd fallen in love with years and years ago. Yeah. And I can appreciate that a hundred percent because that would, I was there as well. A hundred percent. But I don't know for me, I've just, it's always a case of if everything goes completely dumpster fire and, and this turns into the chaos that people kind of think it could do, mm -hmm. I can just forget everything and I've still just got Final Fantasy VII. I can, I can still always just go back to Final Fantasy VII. That's right. kind of like the big saving grace for me. Yeah. Uh, and that is something to keep in mind you know, with any any kind of remake that, anybody might be apprehensive about the original will always, will always exist unless they yep. burn all the copies and wipe it off the internet i guess uh, but, i will i will <laughs> fight them for my yeah copies i don't i will fight them i don't think we're there yet but uh hopefully that doesn't happen <laughs> uh so let's let's step further back before you know so we talked generally generally about final fantasy remake as a remake or not but uh, so that people kind of get more of a sense of your history, let's talk yeah. about Final Fantasy as a series. Uh, what was your first Final Fantasy game? So the first Final Fantasy game I ever played was Final Fantasy VII. Uh, one of my friends had kind of been given the game by his older brother's friend. He played it, and he wasn't a fan of it. So he was like, yeah, do you want to borrow this for a bit? Give it a go. I'd never played a JRPG before, and I was like, yeah, go on. It's got three discs. It's going to be good, obviously. It's three <laughs> discs. And literally, I, I kind of locked myself inside my house for the entire summer holidays from school playing Final Fantasy VII. Like, I, I went to stay at my nana's, uh, my grandma, uh, uh, took my PlayStation with me, barely spoke to her, just played Final Fantasy VII. <laughs> it, it was, yeah, it, it was a big change for me, Final Fantasy VII. Wow. Wow. So not, not just to be your first Final Fantasy, but your first RPG. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I'd always played like platformers, shooters. Like I, I was kind of like born on Mario and things like that. Do you know what I mean? So it was always platformers and that sort of thing. Sports games like FIFA football and that sort of business had started coming about. So yeah, it was all that sort of stuff, you know, the general stuff. Mm, wow. And then this happened. <laughs> wow and then this happened i mean that's major and it yeah it's obviously major for people you know like i mentioned on your show it was yeah. not my first final fantasy um but clearly one that sort of redefines re uh does a paradigm shift for people uh in the way that they perceive video games and yes. what video games are capable of yeah and it kind of made the genre semi-mainstream because 
the level that they marketed it, it was everywhere. Like pre-release, Final Fantasy VII was literally everywhere. Like there was trailers for it on TV. I was talking with Baby Seal about it, and he was saying that you never saw this back then. Like all the commercials that you saw really were for the consoles. Mm-hmm. That's true. For this yeah. game to have this crazy, and obviously they only showed the FMV content in it and stuff like that, right. so you never got to see, you never got to see blocky cloud running around or those horrifying character models that they have when they're riding a chocobo. Have you seen them? They're horrifying. Uh, they look like turkeys. You're talking about in the in, in the like gold saucer. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah. when they're racing the chocobos in the gold saucer, they <laughs> literally just look like turkeys with dots for eyes. It's horrifying. <laughs> That's but hilarious. yeah, it was a, it was such a big change. It brought a focus onto JRPGs that I, I presume had never been there before, at least not in the West. Yeah, definitely, it's a Western shift. Uh, yeah. and I want to say too. I mean, we didn't care about the graphics back then. Oh you know? yeah, that, those graphics were crazy. Yeah. We're like, oh my gosh, Cloud is 3D. Well, it didn't matter that he looked like, you know, a dumpy Popeye, but he was 3D. Seven triangles glued together. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So is this also your favorite Final Fantasy? Yeah, definitely. I mean, by a considerable distance, purely because of the impact that it had on me. I mean, there's probably, there's almost certainly better Final Fantasies. Do you know what I mean? Tighter Final Fantasies, uh, like a tighter narrative, a tighter experience. But for me, Seven just changed so much. It was so impactful that it's just, I, I play it once a year or I try to at least. But what I will say, other than Final Fantasy Seven, because that's just the easy answer for me, is probably Six. Ah, oh, Six is so good. Well, when did you play Six in relation to Seven? So after seven, I played a few of the PS1 RPGs. So you know, like Breath of Fire three, Suikoden, uh-huh. Xenogears, all those kind of games. And then I started diving into emulation because it was like Final Fantasy eight dropped. I played that. I loved that. Even though it had its issues, I still loved it. And Triple Triad became an addiction. <laughs> Triple Triad, like literally, yeah, oh, it was so addictive. <laughs> and and then Final Fantasy IX came along, and by that point, it was like, right, I mean, where are the rest of these games? There's obviously six more before what I've played. Right. So I started the old emulation thing, Square Enix, don't come for me, please. <laughs> uh, and yeah, that was when I got into six. Awesome. Yeah, and yeah, six is fantastic. It's so good. It's so good. Um, so, you know, that's kind of Final Fantasy past. What about Final Fantasy future uh how do you think i guess to get to answering that how do you think final fantasy or really gaming itself has changed since those final fantasies that made you a fan of the series i'm not too sure see gaming's changed quite a bit in general because it's all about multiplayer gaming now like back then in the 90s the only multiplayer you did really was on your couch Mm. The, the, mm-hmm. or a LAN party or something like that, but you were always in the same room or at least building as the person. Like Online gaming was such a minimal thing at that point, mm-hmm. whereas now everything's got some sort of... Even if it's a single-player game, people push for it to have some sort of online multiplayer content. I mean, look at the stuff... I'm trying to think of games that did it now, like Metal Gear 5 did it, didn't it? That had an online Right, thing. right, right. Yeah. FF15 did it, that had an online section... And there's just this push for games to have that in general. So I do think like the more casual, and I hate to say that, but you know, like the more general gamer, so to speak, right? 
back then it was platformers and things like that. Now it's definitely more like you multiplayer shooters like Fortnite and stuff like that. Right. And I think it's kind of changed the way the company looks. Uh, I'm talking about Square Enix, of course. I think it's kind of changed their outlook on things and changed the way they approach doing games in a lot of ways. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, important point to bring up Square Enix itself. Uh, there was a question here from Infernal, who I sense asked it with a little tongue-in-cheek, but he asked, uh, <laughs> how far do we feel Square Enix has strayed from the company they once were? I, it's in the name. I mean, they used to not yeah. be Square Enix. They used to be Square. Square Soft. Soft. Days. Yeah, and Enix as separate entities. So, I mean, really, you're, you know, so you're talking about how gaming itself has changed. The company itself has changed. In a big way. Exactly. And there was definitely a shift when that happened. Because, I mean, it, when was it that it happened? It just after Spirits Within, wasn't it? Because I think it was kind of the fallout of Spirits Within um, that kind of forced the hand. I don't know if that's 100% true, but that's something that you see a lot. So I'm just going to say it. <laughs> <laughs> it must be true. Um, so let's yeah. let's check. So I think that uh, Final Fantasy out. twelve. Um, had Square Enix on the yeah. on the cover. Final yeah, Fantasy. Yeah, I think the 10. last game was ten. Yeah, that had. The last uh, game was ten. Oh, check this out! This is interesting. Black Label PlayStation Two SquareSoft uh, Final Fantasy Ten. Red Label PlayStation Two Greatest Hits Square Enix on the cover. Right. So it must have been round about when did ten come out? Like two thousand. 2002, something like that, 2001? I think so, yeah. It wasn't long after, let me just check. It wasn't long after Final Fantasy IX. Uh, 2001, July 2001. 2001. Yep, yep, yep. So that was roundabout when you definitely see a shift. So the single digits yeah. capping off with Final Fantasy X closing out that era, uh, you could definitely see a shift in Final Fantasy content after yes. 10. They hit with 11 as an MMO. 12 is very different from... A majority of the Final Fantasies in the single digits, uh, and then you get yeah, thirteen I mean, and on and on. I found twelve enjoyable still, but it was definitely a shift. Right, absolutely, definitely a shift. Same here. Yeah. Uh, but no, it's 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 definitely interesting seeing how the company changed from that point. I mean, not just narratively, but mechanically as well. Like they started leaning towards more action-based mechanics and wanting things to be faster. Yes. Yeah, and I think that's keeping up with the times too. Yeah. Um it makes me feel old, honestly. Oh, definitely. <laughs> you know, I used to be I mean, some of my favorite games of all time were created by SquareSoft. Uh yep. some of my not so favorite games of all time were created by Square Enix. So yep. <laughs> it's an interesting dichotomy. Uh but as a more personal question, so Final Fantasy has changed, Square Enix has changed, gaming has changed. How have you changed? Have your tastes in gaming changed since Final Fantasy VII in those days? I mean, there was definitely the shift bringing me over to like JRPGs as a format in general. Mm -hmm. uh, that was definite. That's definitely the biggest shift. I, I don't play a lot of the older games that I used to play, like shooters and platformers and things like that. Uh, I still play simulation games quite a bit. Uh, so you know, like your Civilization games, um, like City Skylines. Uh, Surviving Mars, all those sort of games. Uh, that's def they're definitely a French, uh, you know, a genre that I'm into. Um, but on the whole, no, I'd say I'd, I'd, I'd say other than the shift to JRPGs, I probably play most of the same stuff. Interesting. Uh, 
it's 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 a it's an interesting question. So much has changed, uh, yeah. and I wonder, you know, at a certain point, when did my tastes change? So this became clearest when I was replaying Kingdom Hearts with my son, and this is not the last time we'll mention Kingdom Hearts on this episode. <laughs> oh, good. Uh, but I was playing Kingdom Hearts, and I was like, "This writing sucks. It's so like melodramatic and like teeny boppy." I guess is a terrible way to say it. Yeah. And I love Kingdom Hearts, but this time playing it in my mid thirties, I was like, "Ugh." Uh, but when See, I played it, the first it, time I, I ever played it. Oh, sorry. Go on. Oh no, I was just gonna say when I played it at the time. I loved the heck you out loved of it. it. Yeah. Yeah. See, the thing for me, I only played Kingdom Hearts. Well, I played it when it dropped, and I was like, oh my god, get this away from me. <laughs> I, I just wasn't there. Like The whole Disney thing just completely put me off. I think it was like probably early 20s then, going out all the time with my friends, and I saw this, and I was like, oh no, no, this is not for me. Right, you're like, I'm a big boy, and the same thing yeah. for me. Like, when I played... Yeah, grown. Yeah, <laughs> when I was... So, well, <laughs> Kingdom Hearts was recommended to me, and the first thought that I had that I asked the dude was... Yeah, but the Disney stuff. I'm not supposed to like that. I'm I'm a man now, you know. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so I totally get that perspective. <laughs> but I played it again more recently. Like, um, I bought my girlfriend because she's quite into the franchise. I bought yeah. her, you know, the all-in-one box set that oh, I yes. like one two. Yeah, I bought her all that, and she was like, "Play it, just play it, just see if you like it." So I gave Kingdom Hearts one a go, and I found myself hating the narrative still but obsessively wanting to go and slap Sephiroth and, you know, get through all of the arena fights. You know, the little <laughs> side content, yes, yes. the collectibles. Like, I obsessively wanted that. So I near enough 100%ed Kingdom Hearts 1 and hated every second of it. I don't know what's wrong with me. I, uh, well, that's fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Tried playing 2, gave up. Yeah, uh, <laughs> and it's not a short series either, so... Um, it well, is not. Oh, it's mind-blowing. Yeah, it's it's quite I thought long. the compilation was bad. Well, you know what? If they ever start into a Kingdom Hearts 4, you'll have you'll have plenty of job security there talking about theories and things like that. No. That no, stuff no, abounds no. with Kingdom Hearts dude. <laughs> My theory videos would consist of it's going to be bad. That would that would be it. That would be it. <laughs> <laughs> no, nah, it's not that bad. I can see why some people do love it. I can see its appeal. Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, I, my my five year old worships it right now. I mean, yeah. like he, it's his like favorite thing in the world. So, uh, but it's interesting to hear how I think people's uh, tastes potentially can change over time. Uh, yeah. Speaking of tastes, uh, so on Twitter I asked this past week, uh, you know, what your preference is, uh, and threw that question out to a general audience. Do you prefer yeah. the original seven or you prefer Final Fantasy VII Remake? And I got uh, 45 to uh, 45 votes to eight votes in favor of the original, which yeah. absolutely surprised me because when this came when this game came out, like I thought I was the only person on the planet who did not like it. See, I think I'm kind of not that surprised by that, if I'm being honest with you. It's weird because it comes down to the thing that we were talking about earlier, you know, where it is a complete game, mm -hmm. but it's not the complete story. And I think that's what kind of sways people towards the original. Also, the fact that the original is far better. Let's not forget that. Mm -hmm. But <laughs> definitely, <laughs> um, I'm not biased, honest. 
Yeah. I, but I do think it is that, that lack of completion in the overall narrative. It kind of makes people shy away from saying, oh, this is better because they don't know where it's going. Yeah. And that's spot on. I mean, reasons mentioned, people were constantly saying, you know, tighter story, complete story yeah. in the original. It's not fair to compare. Pacing, exactly. Yes. Uh, less filler, less padding in the original. Um, yeah. Better treatment yeah, of Sephiroth. It was almost laser focused, the original game. Like, you went here, you did this, you did this, you did this. You could go off on your own if you wanted to. But if you follow that narrative without diverging off and going to Materia Caves and racing Chocobos and stuff like that, it is a really laser focused story. There's a little bit yeah. of a lull mid this, too, I think. Yeah, I think you're right. Uh, it's always like you know where the characters are going and what's kind of motivate- motivating them. Uh, yeah. And that really reflects upon the pacing of the game. Uh, it's not like in the original, the characters actually tell you, hey, let's stop here and just mess around for, you know, however long yeah. we want to doing chores and things. Uh, and it's a balance as well. Like if I do enjoy a lot of these character moments that we're getting, you know, where they are just kind of stopping and talking, mm-hmm. but they need to... It feels like there were so many of them that some of them were just there for the sake of being there. If they've got a purpose to be there, I'm all for it. Yeah. But if they're just there for the sake of it, maybe not. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it seems like... Uh, so you, earlier you mentioned people bringing their own imagination to games, yes. particularly in ye olden days when oh, yeah. we had these these visuals that were, gave an impression of what something is rather than the complete reality visualized there for us. And so with with remake uh, and those scenes where you're just kind of hanging out and kind of reminds me of Final Fantasy 15, where a lot of the game is hanging out. But yeah, it's that almost was like people build their much. story in that sense. You know what I mean? Does that yeah. make sense? Yeah. Yeah. The kind of like road trip narrative kind of thing. And yeah, I think. They did a good job of that in some ways with Final Fantasy fifteen, but they also did a dreadful job of it in other ways. Um, like there was a lot of missteps with Final Fantasy fifteen. I do think that the character stuff they're doing in remake is tighter mm-hmm. than it was than in that. fifteen because yeah. yeah, yeah. And I'm glad to see it because there needed to be improvements a hundred percent. Absolutely. And I think the people, you know, that, that clicked with Final Fantasy fifteen are the people yeah. who were able to inject themselves into those characters and inject their imagination into the yes. the uh, the wonderful feeling of hanging out with friends. But the people... yeah, because it was enjoyable in parts, but yeah, there was a, it was it felt shallow. Yeah, you know, I the think game in that... general, it just felt shallow. Exactly. I think if that didn't click with you, the boys on the road trip thing did not work for yeah. you. Then the whole game didn't work for you. It seems yeah. like that's most people I've met. Yeah, there was um, uh, one thing that I would say, like 13 and 15 were definitely, in my opinion at least, missteps by the company. I don't think there was any, I don't think there was much to take from either of those franchises. Hmm. But with 7 Remake, I feel that they've definitely, they've took steps in the right direction again at the very least. Hmm. So with comparisons, you know, and asking people about their preferences and here having a, a vast majority of the people who responded... Um, favoring the original obviously there's people who mention in that thread and have brought up elsewhere oh it's all just nostalgia it's nostalgic glasses what's your response to somebody who says it's all just nostalgia um 
I don't think it is all just nostalgia, but I, I do think a lot of it is. And yeah, I, I'm completely fine with being blinded by my nostalgia <laughs> when it comes to Final Fantasy VII. I, I, I mean, don't get me wrong, like I said earlier, there are arguably better games in the Final Fantasy franchise. Right. Final Fantasy VI, you could argue, is better. It is the peak of the 2D genera- uh, genre, mm-hmm. era even, mm-hmm. of games. Final Fantasy IX, you could argue the same thing. It is the best of that PlayStation era of games because they'd refined everything. Mm-hmm. Even Final Fantasy X, some people you know, see that as better, and twelve. So it all kind of comes down to your personal preference and like the order of your experience, I think. I like your answer because... You know, I, so I'll see, you know, oh, that's just nostalgia all the time. Almost and in, inherent in that sentence is, oh, let's just dismiss nostalgia. Let's, yeah. Let's, nostalgia is a bad thing, but it's not necessarily. Yeah, it's important. Yeah, right. Yeah. That's your personal affection. That's your personal memories, your personal feelings about something from the past. And that's to- completely valid. Now, I think that that ought to be separate from any discussions about the story being tighter. Quality. Quality, yeah. exactly. Man, you and I are on the same page. It's great. <laughs> no, it's good. It's, this is it. And more people need this kind of beat into the head because I see so many people just being the exact opposite of this. And it's like, no, no, come on. Uh, we are right. Honest. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they're, they're, we should be able to have a discussion about yes. the real qualitative pacing of the original Final Fantasy VII and yeah. at the same time have a real discussion about how it impacted us as yes. as younger people. Well, this is the thing as well. It kind of comes down to how we're wired in a certain way. Like, your brain will organically want to do things that it has enjoyed in the past. Mm-hmm. And when it does that thing again, it reinforces that enjoyment so that then you, you want to do it again. It's kind of how addictions form. But when it's healthy, do you know what I mean? That's what nostalgia is. Your mm-hmm. brain remembers the, the quality and the, the the joy that you experienced when you were doing that. And it's like, oh, go do that again. Yeah, there's a comfort there. It's like yeah. going home. It's like returning exactly. to a favorite place. Uh, and that's absolutely nothing to frown upon, I believe. Yeah. As yeah, long as I, it's in the I, right I, context. Yeah, this whole nostalgia is a bad thing and purists as well. I hate that whole argument. It's like, what, so because you prefer Final Fantasy VII, you're some weird purist? No. <laughs> It, it doesn't go like that. It's just generalizations that get made on the internet in general, exactly. I think. Yeah. People would rather make arguments against somebody's character, like saying, yes. oh, you're a purist, rather than address the, the... The point. Right, the point about the different qualities of these games. And so... And that's kind of the point where the conversation ends for me, because it's like, oh, we've gone that way, have we? Never mind. Right, right, exactly. <laughs> Uh, I love this. Uh, this is from Mr. Thou. He said, remake Tifa is greater than OG Tifa. That was the real question, right? <laughs> uh, well, I don't think we'll talk too much in depth about Tifa. This is a PG-13 uh, a podcast. <laughs> so one thing that I will say is, in the original game, I wasn't the biggest fan of Tifa. Oh, really? I was... I always gravitated more towards like Aerith as a character. Tifa came across as a bit <sighs> like just, matriarchal. She didn't get fleshed out as much. Uh, I see. I, I don't think there wasn't uh-huh. that real connection. The main fleshing out that Aer- uh, that Tifa got in the original game was via Cloud. Mm-hmm. That was where all of the context for Tifa came from. So because of that, 
I didn't connect to her in the same way that I connected to Barrett with the situation with Dine, mm. like I did with mm. Sid and the situation with Shimra, like I did with Vincent and Lucrezia, I think. I yeah. didn't really have that connection for Tifa. And one thing I think this book that has just recently dropped that I spoke about earlier, the um, Trace of Two Pasts, it really fleshes Tifa out as a character. And I think in Remake, they've done quite a good job of giving us a more expanded Tifa. Same with other characters as well. Like Barrett was the star of the show for me so far. I loved Barrett. He's he absolutely amazing. an important character in that Midgar section. So f- for it's, sure, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's characterization though as well. Like there's a moment like early on in the game, I think it's, it's definitely chapter one. Uh, you're going up in the lift in the reactor to go and do the bombing. And Cloud says something, and just the look on Barrett's face, it's amazing. It's one of my favorite moments <laughs> in the game. It's such a little moment, but it's kind of like disgust, shock, and I'm going to punch you all in one face. It's brilliant. Yeah, is that when he's like, uh, can't you hear the planet crying? I know you can. Get and, help. Yeah, he's, get help. Yes, exactly. Uh, I think that Barrett greatly benefits from the remake as well. I found... Yes. Uh, so there's two scenes at the top of Shinra's tower for Barrett that I thought were fantastic and I thought were terrible. One of them yes. was when he has that sense of like overcoming hatred and embracing forgiveness and re- almost like a kind of personal redemption there with the Is this Shinra when he president. doesn't, yeah, yeah, when he doesn't throw him right. into the distance. Yeah, right. yeah, good stuff. Because you're like, he could have and have been justified doing so by the player. But, Especially knowing what we know about his story from the original as well, like everything that he lost right. because of Shimra. Exactly. It's like I would have had no issues with Barrett just going, bye. Right. And so I think that's a really <laughs> respectful, you know, moment for Barrett to where yes. he chooses the higher ground. And he then, shows control. Exactly. Yes. And then the next moment they stab him in the back and it comes back to life. And yeah. that is something we're like, why'd you do that? <laughs> so di- differences between differences yeah it's a it's definitely a weird one that moment because it feels pointless because he he gets stabbed yeah and i get how it happened like they were in the wrong place at the wrong time because things are happening in a slightly different order and pace than they did in the original game so in the original game they arrive in that room much later and sephiroth's been in killed shimmer and bailed at this point though because other things have gone on and the whispers are involved and the timeline has shifted mm-hmm. they're arriving there earlier and interrupting Sephiroth mm-hmm. so I can see how it happened but the, for, for them just to kill him and then unkill him in that instant it's a bit cheap right it does feel cheap it feels like a I have a head smoke. cannon I have a mini head cannon okay right <laughs> brace yourself I embrace so One theory that I'm kind of going with at the minute is that everything that's kind of happened in Remake, and this is just a possibility, it's not what I flat out think is definitely happening, Mm -hmm. but I kind of work in possibilities, me, in a lot of ways. So I feel that what's happened in Remake has kind of happened in like a little pocket, bubble in the live stream, so to speak. The planet's tried to restrain Sephiroth, and the whispers are the memories, potentially, of the people from the original timeline trying to, you know, be mobilized by the planet to stop Sephiroth. And my little headcanon is that that's Jesse, Biggs, and Wedge who kind of swoop in and save Barrett in that scene. Yeah, I, I didn't say it was good. No, no. I didn't say it was good. <laughs> I, you know, I'm glad I was sitting down. I will say that. It's uh, just a little fun possibility. And 
that's that's kind of half the thing. Like these possibilities come into your head, and then you have to kind of work out like, does this make sense, or am I going to sound like a tinfoil hat wearing loon if I say this? Right, and you know what? I'll be yeah. honest. That's absolutely not the craziest theory I've heard about this. Oh no, it's far worse. Yeah, there are some <laughs> there's some insanity circling around. That's for sure. Yes, there is. Yeah, I love it though. I genuinely love it. So going back to Tifa, I wonder if you would agree with this statement. Uh, Somebody mentioned to me once that the remake actually gives Tifa a personality, uh, which I thought was pretty extreme. What do you think of that statement? To a degree, yeah. But I think it kind of comes down to that thing where everything that happened with Tifa in the original game was framed via Cloud. Right. Everything that she experienced came down to that time in Nibelheim, basically. I absolutely It was always Cloud, yeah. And I think that's why people feel that. This def- I feel that that's why I feel that. Mm-hmm. Because, like I say, I didn't connect with Tifa that much in the OG. Mm-hmm. I feel much more of a connection with her, even from what we've already seen. Like, I'm going to get my grubby little mitts on a copy of a translation soon for Trace of Two Pasts, and hopefully that makes it grow even further. I see. Yeah, I, I mean, I completely agree with that. I think she's very much a character that's defined by Cloud um, yeah. in the original. Um, she's, you know, the girl next door, the childhood friend kind of archetype. That, yeah, exactly. That's what she's always framed as. Whereas, like, Barrett's the leader of Avalanche. Aerith is the last Setra. Tifa's Cloud's friend. Right, right. I, and I, I, I'm glad that she's getting more. I think what, because now I'm trying to, th- so I already admitted on your show uh, that Tifa and Kate Sith were my favorite characters from the original yes. game. Yes. Uh, I'm trying to think now, like, what resonated with me about Tifa in the original. I think it was sort of the older sister archetype. Um, But it was also that that demonstration of her affection towards Cloud that was not purely romantic. So I always remember the scene where Cloud's in a wheelchair, you know, practically a vegetable, and Tifa takes care of him. But... Barrett would Barrett have done that? Would Aerith have done that? Would would anybody other than the childhood friend who has known Cloud the longest have exactly. been with him that long? And that is, in a sense, to me, a more deeper expression of affection than something that's merely fleetingly romantic. Um, yeah. So I think that she because they've got that history, haven't they? Exactly. So I think she would have yeah. been less of a character if she'd be, just been sort of the the love triangle corner and that was it because you're right yes. Aerith is and i i totally think this is accurate that Aerith is more important to the overall plot than tifa yes. is but i think that tifa is more important to the overall cloud than Aerith. yes is, if that makes sense See, this is one of my big things like with tifa she was she was essential in the aspect of without her cloud cannot tether himself to reality he has no proof that he existed because everyone died. Right. Everyone in Nibelheim died pretty much except Tifa and I believe Zangan and maybe one or two others, but he's not in contact with any of these people. So Tifa is his tether to reality. And without her, he 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 gets lost in that lie that Sephiroth's feeding him that he's a clone, that he's a puppet. That's all he is. Yes, absolutely. So 
Man, oh, we're going to talk more about characters here in a moment. Yes. I know for sure. <laughs> uh, so getting more into the content of the game, Games with Coffee asked us, what are some positives about the remake? Does the game do a better job in fleshing out certain characters? He said, read Tifa or make them worse. Read Cloud and Eris. <laughs> so again, loaded Ooh. questions here. Um, but Ooh. I love his his sense of positivity. Games with Coffee is one of we the most positive. We appreciate all the known. questions. Yes. We appreciate all the questions. Yes. Uh, but what are some positives about Remake, then, in, in relation to characters or not? So, one of the main positives for me is getting to see Midgar realized in like a full 3D world. That is something that I have dreamed of since 2001. Nice. When Final Fantasy X dropped and everything was all 3D. Because we, we, we had sort of 3D on the PS1, and it was nice, but... In the PS2, it stepped it up a level, a hundred percent, and that was the point for me. So I'm enjoying seeing all that. I'm enjoying the characters being fleshed out more. I wouldn't say Cloud and Aerith are worse. I would definitely say Tifa's better though. Mm-hmm. Tifa's characterization is much better. Like we've just gone over a minute ago. Mm-hmm. Um, beyond that, I like the what they've done as far as melding like the old ATB type combat system with an action system. I was worried about how that was going to go, especially after playing Final Fantasy XV. And uh, I, personally, I think they've hit it out of the park. Hmm. Like, I still yearn for turn-based. Don't get me wrong. I yearn for that. But as a compromise, remakes kind of hit the nail on the head for me. Still need some improvements. And apparently, a lot of those are implemented in intermission which i've not quite got around to playing yet but we'll get there right someday (laughs) well i'll get a ps5 eventually blitz one of the youtubers that i interact with on twitter he's done giveaways he's i think he's given about seven ps5 away as i was saying to him earlier like who have you got locked in your basement from so (laughs) just manufacturing ps5s in his yeah it's crazy (laughs) that's funny uh, well, while we're on the subject of characters, let's just talk characters uh, right now, yeah. and then we'll get to some other stuff here. So when I, I initially played, you know, like when you, so mm, how do I say this? Uh, I believe that critical analysis takes time to ferment, mm-hmm. like wine. Yes. In order to be good, it has to have time to think. So I, you know, sometimes people will churn out a review. Like on day one, I have to get it out right now. And it's obviously, they did it too soon. They're missing aspects of the game in there. They got yes. information completely incorrect because they were rushing. But yes. I think that that over time, criticism can develop. I mean, you see people developing criticism for games that are like 30 years old still. Somebody oh, asked 100%. me, they're like, do you, do you honestly think there's anything new to say about Super Mario World? I'm like, yeah. They're, I mean, people are still talking about greco-roman art that's like two thousand years old yeah we can there's always fresh perspectives yeah i think that's what it comes down to because everything that we can speak about is already in there yeah but maybe the perspective to speak about a certain subject hasn't come along yet right and i completely i don't trust myself with and maybe some people are better at this i don't i i'm not i i don't trust myself when i first finish a movie for the first time when i first hear a a song for the first time when i first finish a game for the first time my feelings about that are in their rawest possible form yes and very malleable at that point. right and so when i finished final fantasy 7 remake an impression that i had that's now softened over time was that the characters are 
instead of really being developed, that is, we learn more about their motivations, what makes them tick, uh, what they want, all of those things, uh, their histories and so on and so forth. Instead of learning more about that, essentially I believe and believed that uh, the seven remake characters doubled down on the stereotypical aspects of their personality. For example, Jesse is <laughs> Jesse was thirsty for cloud. Who died of thirst. Right, right, right. In the original game, she was like, oh, cloud swoon. In this game, she's like, literally, come to my room. I'm alone. I'm going to take a shot, like, <laughs> which is extreme. I, so, and then, uh, which one we eat pizza, right? Biggs and wedge. <laughs> I mean, the thumbs up is constant. Uh, Aerith, yes. Aerith is like, you know, so I've always had my things with Aerith, but Aerith yeah. to me seemed forward in the original game. You know, she's yes. like, Oh, you could go on a date for me in exchange for being a bodyguard in this one. <laughs> she's like, Forward, forward. She is very mm. forward. So yeah, they've doubled down in a lot of aspects. Yes, like you say, on those those kind of main aspects that we focused on back then. Yeah, okay. They've definitely doubled so, down on that. I'm not completely off base then. Good. No. Now I do think that the game does develop certain characters over others in better ways. I mean, we both agreed yes. on, on Barrett. I think Barrett, you know, gets a lot of great screen time. A lot of moments in in remake, um, and this is his time to shine. It's the Midgar section. He's 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 there. Uh, well, one conversation that I had just recently, really briefly, to cut in is about how we've got the prospect now going forwards with Barrett. I, I believe it was with um, Lully Bunny when we were recording our episode. Spoiler. Um, but, um, <laughs> in the new threat mod for Final Fantasy VII, as you get closer and closer to uh, Coral, Barrett keeps saying things and stopping. You know, and being apprehensive about going to Coral. And I think it's a phenomenal addition that they've put into that mod. And I think we're going to see something like that going forward with Remake. So I think with Barrett, I think the best still to come, like being completely honest with you. And I will be very curious how some of these characters remain relevant over time. Um, Conversation that I had. get dropped. Exactly. Conversation that I had with other folks, even about Final Fantasy IX, which I adore. That mm, the yep. games forget certain characters by the time you reach the climax. So, like Freya, I love the character of Freya, but she becomes completely irrelevant like after Clara. Um, yes. Barrett is sort of, he feels like he's out of his league at a certain point with what's happening. I'd say once you get past Cosmo Canyon. Yeah. yeah. I'd say once you get past Cosmo Canyon, he's kind of reached. He's kind of reached the end of his journey, and now he's kind of putting everything behind Cloud's journey. That's how it feels like at that point for me with Barrett. Exactly. Because it was always a dream for them all to go to Cosmo Canyon, wasn't it? Right, right, right. And so to, I mean, maybe some of the changes that they're going to have to make to keep the characters relevant, especially in an episodic setting across the entirety of the narrative, maybe that influences decisions such as bringing Avalanche members back to life. Um, potentially, potentially to keep you know these characters relevant. So, uh, Cloud is one of those characters that in the remake I absolutely thought they doubled down on his almost like dopey uh, level of of that lack of social. Yeah, skills. yeah, yeah. Uh, and when yeah. as a kid I was like, oh man, he's so cool. And then as a thirty year old <laughs> I was like, this kid needs to grow up. <laughs> 
<laughs> so, yeah, this is it. The perspective shifted the now because we're older than and them. I think it's a combination <laughs> of things. It could have been my my yes. my age, but also remake just has that much more time for Cloud to be like not interested, not interested. Yeah, over and over. I, I think one thing as well that they're trying to do with Cloud, and they've kind of gone darker with him. Like in the original, you don't really get any hint of him being willing to chop Reno in half, so to speak. Or like when he was going to kill Johnny or when he was going to kill the Sephiroth clone, that kind of interrupt, you know, when he draws his sword and hits the door frame. So there's definitely a, there's some changes going on with Cloud. Mm. But at the same time, he is definitely that goofy guy that has no idea what he's doing. Right. And in a lot of the texts that have come out over the last few days, they're talking about how he envisions what a soldier would be like. And when he envisions that, he sees Zack. And it kind of sent me spiraling, like, no, he doesn't remember Zach, does he? What? What? So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think... But I don't think it is that. I think it's subconscious. I right. think they're just saying that for our benefit. No, in the and book. I would agree with that. I, yeah. I think, too, that, I mean, we, we're just getting Cloud in Midgar. So we're not getting Cloud in Calm, where he kind of becomes more human as a character. Yes. Because we get to have his backstory. We get to see him more vulnerable. Um, yes. So, you know, whatever form that'll take in part two, I imagine that'll humanize the character more. But when you have things like he doesn't know how to give a high five, I was like, what do you, what, <laughs> what is wrong with you? And then the very next minute, he's doing like a full Broadway stage dance. So yeah. there's mis- So that's the scene. That is the exact scene that the translation speaks about. So when he's on that stage, Yes. He's envisioning Zach. I caught that. That's, yeah. Having that's, fun, that, right? Yeah, exactly. What a soldier would do in this. What a confident man would do in this situation. But he couldn't muster a high five. What a putz. No, I know. <laughs> what a putz. The journey he goes on. The exactly. journey. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so another character, I mean, we'll, you know, I'll save the Kate Sith talk for your show. Oh, uh, please. Why, please? <laughs> uh, one of the... It's the only character. It's the only character I dislike. Oh, man. I almost love him just because people hate him. I'm going to I'm gonna say it. Yeah, I get that. I'm gonna I get say that. It. He's such a troll character. Uh, well, one of the characters that I think is fairly endearing for a lot of people is Red 13. Uh, yes. Red 13 is not playable in the remake because he comes in rather late in the Midgar section yes. anyway. So I get that. I was disappointed that you can't play as Red 13 because I love the character, but it makes sense. I do think yeah. that the character, the portrayal of Red 13 is already different from the original. Uh, and yes. that's right at the get-go. Uh, and I want to hear your thoughts on this after, after I outline it. But just in brief... When he first appears, he's very feral until yeah. Aerith kind of calms him down with whatever her ghost whispering magic is that she has <laughs> from the train yard <laughs> sequence. Uh, but I think that that moment is is a huge difference as far as the character goes, because it shows either that he had ill intent or he doesn't trust people or you know, he he's he would have torn them to shreds if Aerith hadn't been there. And that's absolutely not Nanaki and how he meets the main party in the first game, where he puts his best foot forward and is like, hey, by the way, I can talk. I'm not going to kill you. I'm not a monster. I don't want to be yes. here. So very different characters, I think, in that regard. And I think that we'll see 
more differences in Red 13 in the next part. I would agree with that. So what I'd say, on the in the original game, when you first meet Red 13, he kind of jumps on Aerith, doesn't it? And then he clarifies a few minutes later that, oh, I was just kind of playing along. Do you know what I mean? Right, right, right. That kind of thing. Now, in Remake, I think he's much more feral initially because... See, there's definitely certain characters that have got a connection to the live stream. Mm-hmm. We see it with Aerith. We see it to a degree now and again with Cloud. Um, we definitely see it in the original game with Bugenhagen. And I would argue that Red 13 has got a similar connection. Not as strong as Aerith's, but he can perceive certain things. So I think he will have been reacting to everything that had been going on because with Sephiroth coming back, with Genova just being taken, with the Whispers being active, trying to maintain the timeline. There's so much going on, I think he might have been a bit more defensive because of that. Mm-hmm. But that's complete headcanon. There's no there's no statements or clarification to that or anything like that. That's just in my head. Yeah. Well, I mean, it could be any motivation, though. And I, I appreciate that yes. you're, you're trying to fill in that blank. Um I think we could both see... But it is vague. Yeah. yeah. Well, and I think we could both see that the character, at least how he's initially presented, is different. And that's true for And I think this is why he reacts to Aerith as well. Like, few characters react to Aerith in the way that Red 13 does. And the only other person that does is Marlene. Mm-hmm. Because there's a moment in the bar where, like, Aerith reaches out for her and... It's also been clarified in these recent interviews that Marlene sees something that she shouldn't see. Huh. And that's why she kind of freezes for a moment. We get no clarification on what it is, but she sees something in that moment. And I think a similar thing happens with Red 13. And because of his strong connection to the planet in general anyway, he sees a lot. And then he shifts his attitude completely. Hmm. Interesting. There's a lot going on behind the scenes. There's a lot. Yeah, yeah there's a hell of a lot. I'm still unpacking these interviews like... Audrey on Twitter, she's done um, her translations. There's a couple of other people that are translating it at the moment, and I'm waiting until I've got kind of two or three different translations. You know, so because there's always differences, there's oh, always course. that person's perspective color in the translation to a certain degree. Absolutely, or, or there's the potential for that at least. Right, and to be able to compare translations, that's good. Exactly, yeah. and get a mid ground. Right, exactly. Beautiful. Uh, well, so. I think we'd be doing our listeners a disservice if we did not mention one of the biggest characters here, uh, which is Sephiroth. Yes. Uh, yes. In my the big, view, ba- the big guy. Right. <laughs> in my view, one of the biggest indicators that this is not a remake and one yeah. of the biggest differences in the remake is how the remake handles Sephiroth. It is completely... Almost antithetical, I want to say, to the way that Sephiroth it's the opposite. Yeah. Yeah, is presented in Midgar. It's not just that he's there more, but it's what that there he's more there means. Immediately. Exactly. So maybe you want yeah. to share some thoughts on Sephiroth and you know what kind of his his overbearing presence in remake kind of does to create, you know, new atmospheres, new themes, new interactions. So I think in the original game with Sephiroth, he was almost folklore. Do you know what I mean? That, that's kind of the the position that he filled in that game up until 
And the first time you interact with one of the Sephiroth clones revealed as Sephiroth is the boat to Junon. Yeah, I think you're right. Before that, everything that you see, you're in his wake, basically. Uh, you're hearing stories about him. You're seeing things that he's done. And it builds him up to the point where when you finally see him, it's like, oh, my God, here we go. Are we going to fight him? What's happening? That excitement's there. And then he pretty much disappears again then for another 10 hours. And then you see him again. <laughs> right. Whereas in Remake, the end of Chapter 1, start of Chapter 2, like when, you, when Cloud's in the bomb, you know, setting the bomb in the reactor, you see the feather drop. Bam, there's your first sign of Sephiroth. That's what? An hour into the game, if that? Yeah. And from that point on, it's near constant. Right. Now, one thing that they have said is that it's multiple Sephiroths. They've, now, they've said that, period. Yeah. I'd miss yeah, they're saying point. that it is. They're saying that there's four Sephiroths, potentially. But I think what they mean is that there's four for different types of interaction with Sephiroth. So first off, you've got like the Sephiroth that's in Cloud's mind, and that is just internal for Cloud, I believe. Right, so that would be, let's contextualize each one if we can. Yes. That would be the alleyway Sephiroth? Yes. Okay. That's going to be completely internal. The hallucinatory Sephiroth, okay. Yeah, exactly. I got you. Then you've got like flashbacks. Right. That's what that's kind of they, they refer to it as like memories of Sephiroth. Okay. So like when you see kind of hints of what went down back when Tifa's dad was killed and things like that, you, you know those moments. They're like historical flashbacks to Sephiroth. Okay. Then you've got the Black Cloaks, which we see in Chapter Seventeen. Right. For the most part, the guy next in door office. to uh, and then yeah, exactly to yeah. Cloud's apartment. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So that's Genova showing Sephiroth through the black cloaks. Okay. That that that's like using that power of Genova, basically. Sephiroth's using that to project his image onto the black cloaks. Right. But then there's a fourth interaction, which they don't define. They leave it as like four question marks, basically. This is from one of the Ultimanias from closer to when the game released. Okay. And Personally, the only times that you see this Sephiroth is at the end, so on the highway. That is the Sephiroth that you see on the highway. And I believe that this is that future Sephiroth. So I would say that while there's four different types of interaction, there's two Sephiroths. You've got the Sephiroth that's native to this time. He's doing his usual thing. Now, beyond that, you've got this future Sephiroth who's kind of coming back and adding this additional layer. And I think... That's where a lot of the changes are going to be coming from in the narrative of Remake going forward because Sephiroth obviously wants to change things because the original timeline did not go well for him. Mm -hmm. Like, if you think about it, once you get to the end of Dirge of Cerberus, he's... The Black Materia failed. Mm -hmm. If that plan to get all of the power of the live stream, that didn't go well for him. Omega's gone. So uh, in the storyline of Dirge of Cerberus, Omega is the vessel that is to take the life stream away from Gaia. Mm -hmm. That's the concept of it. So if the planet ever finds itself in a true crisis, Omega will take the life stream and go and go to a different planet. That's the that, that's the premise of it. With that gone as well, there is no route for Sephiroth to achieve his goals in that timeline, and I think that's why he's come back. And I think we'll see a lot more of that. Hmm. Well, that's all fascinating. Uh, 
I can't honestly. I mean, having played through it it's once, deep. no, it is deep. <laughs> it's absolutely deep. I, There's so much in there. Yeah, I almost mad. wish that the game could explain itself without us having to rely on sort of the extraneous yes. hints of developers. Uh, yes. But everything that you just said, I can't think of any contradiction to that within the game itself. Uh, if there are two Sephiroths, sort of the original Sephiroth and now a new remake Sephiroth, I mean, I don't, I don't see how that could be contradictory to whatever the heck it is that happens at the end of remake. Yeah, because that is a completely different Sephiroth. Like all the way through the game, you've just kind of been poking, you're prodding, you whichever Sephiroth it's been you've never had a real direct conflict with him. Whereas at this point, he's like, right, let's go. There's a big shift at that point. And yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how they explain these things in part two. That's that's what I'm looking forward to. So maybe, you know, I mean, we could bemoan the loss of the Sephiroth as a legend kind of motif yes. from the original game, uh, which I think is so effective in the original game. But maybe what they're attempting to set up is... Uh, sort of a legendary presence for a different or new or secondary Sephiroth. Uh, maybe we'll get a Sephiroth fusion. Potentially. See, one of my one of the things I think is that we'll see the two Sephiroth. If it is two Sephiroths, because like I say, it's it's all up in the air. Mm -hmm. It could be that when Sephiroth came back, he took the place of that Sephiroth, and it is just the one Sephiroth. Either possibility is equally possible right now. I see. But... I think if it is the two Sephiroths, I think we'll see a conflict between them at some point because that original Sephiroth is going to go through the steps that he goes through in the original game. Sephiroth knows how the future Sephiroth, sorry, knows how that goes. So he's going to be against that. So will we see some sort of conflict there? Wow. Will we see Sephiroth save a certain someone at a certain point? Don't say it. <laughs> it's possible. I'm not going to say it. I'm just going to leave it at that. But it's... it's it's, it's these kind of tantalizing possibilities because the way I feel about it is Sephiroth, the cat's out yeah. of the bag. Everyone knows who Sephiroth is. So kind of holding him back, while it would have stayed more faithful to the original game, I don't think it would have been as enjoyable a second time Not around. for old fans. So I think... Yeah. Yeah, I think they definitely had to lead with him. I think they went too far mm -hmm. with it. Personally, I think it is over the top how much Sephiroth right. we get. But at the same time, it does open up a lot of possibilities. And I'm I'm one of those people that's of the opinion now that I don't want it to stay too faithful to wow. the original. I want deviation now. I want this game to just go with the story that yeah. it's gone. You, you know, that it's going for. Because if it starts implementing all these changes and then shies away from them. Yeah. What was the I point could see that changes? being worse at this point. You're right. Yeah, that's an interesting point. Exactly. That they've already made these very fundamental metaphysical changes to the universe, and to backtrack, yes. to backpedal on all that at this point seems a little ludicrous uh, and wasteful. I think that by the yes. time we get to the third act of this overarching narrative, it's going to be dramatically, dramatically different. Oh, it's going to. Yeah, yeah. It, we'll see the same places, but events are going to be unrecognizable yeah. by that stage, I believe. I think the end of part two, like my prediction for it is that it's going to wrap up in Nibelheim. A lot of people are kind of seeing that as a nice organic spot for part mm -hmm. two to end. It'll be a long game if they scale, you know, if they upgrade everything to the scale that they did with Midgar. It'd probably be like a 50, 60 hour game. 
but narrative-wise, the events that go down in Nibelheim, they lend themselves to a finishing right, point. I would agree with that. Because I, I don't think they'll go as far as where the OG goes just purely because it'd be a 100-hour game. Right. <laughs> it absolutely would be, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it'd be insane. Well... But that's why I think we'll get these changes, though, because I think wrapping it in three is the golden number. If you go beyond three, you're going to start losing your yeah, audience. I more than potentially they already have. Because you, you, you brought yeah, up exactly. earlier, and again, this, this surprised me with the numbers that we saw. That people, the, <laughs> yeah, that people <laughs> didn't. Again, my impression was everybody loved the remake, and it seems like as opinions age, that it, that's not the case. There are a lot of people that were soured no. on this one, and if this is the most authentic it's going to get, I can't see that getting any better for those fans that were wanting an yes. authentic remake, unless they can get on board with the new direction of the story. Exactly, and I think I think that's the thing that if these people want to be involved in the story, because there's nothing wrong with not liking something and then distant, you know, just don't interact with it anymore. It's cheap. There's it's cheaper. That's that. for sure. Much, yeah. much cheaper. <laughs> but if these people, if if they want to get enjoyment from that, I would recommend that. Like, just try and shift that perspective a little bit. It isn't that. It isn't a remake. It is a sequel. It is continuing things. But one thing that I kind of hope for from it is the compilation was a mess. Let's let's be honest. In general, the compilation mm. was a mess. I'm hoping that remake, as part of its kind of journey that we go through, makes the compilation make and not sense. less sense. Hopefully, yeah. And one thing that I do think they have done with the recent DLC, the Yuffie DLC, they've brought characters like Nero and Vice, who were absolutely shocking in their games in Dirge of Cerberus. Like, it was such a corny, cheesy, horrible game. Yeah. Like, the concepts were good, but the execution was really bad, yeah. I thought. The, the the execution in Intermission is, is night and day. Wow. It's so wow. much better. And if they can continue that with the rest, I'm hopeful. Like, I'm hopeful they can improve the compilation. That's the hope. Yes. Well, I, I mean, we'll see, and we'll talk a little bit more about, uh, yes. about that as we close up. Um, sort of a, a a brief question here from Bookworm: uh, Is the trade off worth it? You know, so many changes have been made, and uh, you know. So I guess in short, would you recommend people play this uh, now that we know it's not a remake, or would you just I recommend would. they go back to the OG? You would recommend people try out the remake. I'd recommend that they play it. Yeah. Purely, I mean, if you've never played Final Fantasy before, or if they've never played Final mm-hmm. Fantasy VII, sending them back to a game that was released in ninety, well, late ninety-seven in Japan, I believe it was, it's possibly going to be a barrier for them because if they're a modern gamer, that type of game might mm-hmm. not resonate. Whereas if they play remake, they might fall in love with that world and then want to go through the rest yeah. of Seven. And the more people that experience Seven, the better. Now, if I was talking to someone who played the OG and whether or not to recommend remake to them, I would heavily prepare them that it is not yes. a remake. I, I would make that perfectly clear before they purchased it. Like, this is not that original mm-hmm. game. It reimagines a lot of the places and the scenes and the events, but it is not that original game. I'd make sure they went into it with a realistic perspective. Yeah, that's very healthy, I think. Uh, I would I would probably agree with that as well. Um 
It's difficult because so I've I've met people who have just played the original seven for the first time and loved it and others who were like, I could not get past the first 30 minutes of it at all. So yeah. and I get that. I mean, it's 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 not aged very well in a lot of ways, especially visually. Yeah, it's it's tough, though, because like when I play it, I still see it through the eyes of 13 year old me. So there's the I can't imagine looking at that game and thinking, oh, God, what's right. that? But it is a realistic perspective. People that are in modern gaming, they will look at that and be like, oh, my God. You want right me to play now. This? And I could see, too, if they'd never played it, but they were already somebody who was familiar with and enjoyed PlayStation one games. Uh, then I would absolutely yes. be like, oh, just go play the original. Yeah. Go play the OG. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And at 100%. least they can get the complete story. But I also agree with you. If they're going to be a modern gamer that that has difficulty getting into that game in the past, then check out this one. So Yeah, it's a good it's a good entry yes, point. Absolutely. So I asked our listeners, uh, what were some of the main differences between the original and the remake? And got some uh, interesting responses here. Uh, Ali yes. Babtu said one is an epic game. The other is an epic interactive movie. Whew. Uh, ABXY reviews said one was incredible for its time. One is a mediocre and overrated disappointment. I like how he pulls his punches there. Oh yeah. <laughs> there's some, uh, there's some, yeah, intense feelings. Uh, Nicarilla said final fantasy seven remake defies fate. Whereas final fantasy seven manufactures it. I thought that was interesting. Uh, and that's definitely a good way to look at the story as well. Like the original game is the creation, the origin point, and that's where the story comes from. Absolutely. Remake yeah. is rebelling against that original game, or Sephiroth is rebelling against that fate. Right. And in a sense, I guess the well, that depends on your perspective of what the the whispers are. If the whispers represent an authentic remake, and you are forced to fight them then your party you're going against it yeah right 100%. represents fighting fate uh, and i think it's an interesting it's an interesting choice that to make you defy fate you you are the one that breaks the shackles you are the one that opens this remake up when you play it oh, it's, uh, it's an interesting yeah. choice yeah absolutely especially if you really wanted that authentic remake for me like you were saying earlier about like opinions softening over time like mine definitely did i was at the end when the game when i finished it i was quite negative and over the course of like a month month and a half Mm -hmm. i softened on things and kind of like i shifted my perspective like i said yeah rage is hard to maintain i mean let's be honest it is (laughs) it's it's hard to maintain uh it just becomes disappointment yeah which is milder (laughs) which is milder uh, yeah. A black mage Felix said the Kingdom Hearts ghost thingies. Uh, also, Fail Prime said the live stream ghosts are a ta- terrible plot driver. Boston said OG had a better Midgar because who the hell wants to spend 30 hours in a poop hole? <laughs> I censored myself there. Um, Leap. Yeah, Sinjin45, even more of an emphasis on fate and what choices you make, obviously, in remake. Uh, Best yep. Nerd Life said the buildup and mystery about Sephiroth is fantastic in Seven. The blood on the floor in the Shinra building is swords sticking out of the prez, seeing Midgar Zolomon paled on a tree without having really seen him yet. That's interesting. Yep. 
Uh, this is it. You've still not seen him at this point. Yeah, and only in flashbacks. Uh, in Final Fantasy VII R, it falls flat. No mystery. He's introduced straight away in an alley. Very boring. That's that's his perspective here. Best nerd life. Yep. But obviously, we we addressed Sephiroth. Uh, here's a positive one. New Dad Gaming said sense of scale in remake. The opening shot of Midgar, the number of NPCs giving each area some more life, the summons, but the lifesaver is saving anytime, anywhere that you yeah. want. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it would have been beautiful. It would have been beautiful. But that was that was part of the the tactics that you had to employ in the old games. You had to make sure that you were saving. Like there was many times in my early days of JRPG life where I'd go three hours without dropping a save and get killed. Yeah. It happens. It happens. It does, yeah. And <laughs> staggering your saves. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. Uh, oh, yeah. Now I run a system where I've got rolling three saves. I've learned. <laughs> here's an interesting one. Shadewing said, the thematic shift from loss and environmentalism to fate and destiny. Yes. So we have completely new themes here. Now... One thing that I'd say about that is, I do agree, we have... So in the original game, Fate and Destiny were there. They were just more minor themes, I believe. It was okay. more about loss. And definitely environmentalism. Like When I was chatting to Baby Seal, we were talking about how it's less... Because we're more used to it these days, it's less of a focus in our minds. But back then in the 90s, when Final Fantasy VII was talking about this, it was a big thing. It wasn't as public. You know, People weren't talking about it. So it was definitely very impactful having that environmentalism theme in there. Mm. What I would say is, I wouldn't say that these new themes are replacing the old themes, but I would agree that to some people, definitely, it's taken the shine off those original themes because you've got these additional themes in there and obviously certain, you know, you need time to show these themes. Mm -hmm. And if you've got more themes competing for that time, obviously there's going to be less of a focus on each of the others. Right. So I do see where that point comes from in that perspective. And I would agree, but I would maintain hope that these themes will remain prevalent. Like these are still massively important themes, loss and environmentalism. Right, right, right. So I, I think I agree with that. I think shift is a good word like he used. There. Yeah. Um, I think we agree that the climax is absolutely about fate, destiny, yes, more 100%. than about environmentalism. Um, but yeah, we'll see how that plays out. Retro Gift Monster said the first half of OG Final Fantasy VII doesn't feel like a chore simulator. <laughs> uh, oh, I loved th this is great. Uh, from Non Trotsky, Final Fantasy VII Remake was designed to make you horny and the original was designed to make you feel <laughs> like Legos could cry. <laughs> oh i love that wonderful and a reminder making characters more sexy is not character development all right final one here no. from mohammed fl10 characters shape is different ps1 cloud is box shape remake <laughs> is realistic shape i would have loved it if we'd have got everything in full high high definition 4k wonder and the character models were the old ones. I would have loved that. <laughs> Does it like real I skin would... texture on those? Yeah, that's hilarious. Oh, God. That would have added like a point on any review score that I ever give Final Fantasy VII Remake. Oh, like yeah. That. That's so funny. <laughs> so I picked out... I mean, obviously, there's more differences than we can mention. Yes. Um, and we talked about plenty already. But I picked out seven. And I think that they're, they're real important. That's a good seven. number. Yeah. Made sense. Uh, the battle system... The graphics, 
You got voice actors now, Sephiroth, as we talked about, Avalanche, The Whispers, and in that sense, the plot. And yes. then seven, Corneo always chooses Cloud. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, that's kind of minor, honestly. But the reason why I bring <laughs> it up is because I think that there's there there are things that can happen differently depending on how you play in the original. Yes. Whereas in the remake, it almost seems like it funnels you down a certain per path more tightly than you could in the original. So obviously Walmart being a prime example of that, you could mess around, you could get cloud different kinds of, you know, costumes and dresses and all makeup the different and all that items. Stuff. Right. Yeah. And then you would get different scenes depending on if Corneo chose Tifa or Aerith or Cloud. Can he choose Aerith? In the original, yeah. Okay. I don't think I've ever done that, but I'll have to go back and try that. But I think I did it once. Well I always end up with Cloud because I'm just that kind of guy who just has to collect. Oh, because you got to do the, the whole things. thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 <laughs> I did the Honey Bee in sequence once, and I was like, I think I'm good. I think I'm good. Uh, <laughs> so I, I did get the. I had to get the perfect score on it. I'm just, every I, time. I just had to. <laughs> yeah, that's hilarious. Uh, so to kind of touch down here as we wind up, um, future parts. You know, we talked about lore and we talked about theory crafting. Um, and the future of the Final Fantasy VII project now. Just Callus asked, does the release of Final Fantasy VII Remake Integrate mean that the release of Episode Two is still far away? What new feature announcement for Episode Two would get you excited for it? That's a good question. That's two good questions. Two good questions. Snuck two in there. <laughs> so... For the first one, as far as Integrade, meaning that the release of Part 2 is quite far away, I I would say that we will probably, at the very earliest, we're looking at the end of 2022. That, that's my prediction. I think we're probably more likely going to see it in 2023. I hope I'm wrong on that. Um, they've got a lot of the resources kind of put together mm -hmm. and things like that. I believe that transferring assets from Unreal Engine 4 to 5 is quite easy. And I say the word easy, obviously, understanding that it is still a massive amount of work. Right. Um, but it's not like rebuilding all the assets again. So I'm hoping that brings it a bit closer. I think Integrade is kind of like just making sure that they can get all of these assets moved over to the PS5 smoothly in a lot of ways. Mm. I, I think that is kind of what Integrade was. Um, as far as the feature announcement... I mean, I did a video on it recently, actually. One thing that Crisis Core is a game that I'm not the biggest fan of. It has some good things in it. I enjoy Zack. I like Zack as a character. I think he's brilliant. I'm really glad they fleshed that character out because he is a really important part of Cloud's story. But one of the biggest things in Crisis Core for me was the Materia Fusion system. And I think it could answer one of the questions about how a lot of our gear... Because one of the big questions that people have is, does our stuff transfer over? Are we going to take all our materia through to the next game? That sort of thing. And I think introducing a materia fusion system would kind of facilitate bringing your materia over, but still having levels that you can improve it to make it relevant for later parts in the game. You know, so that they've got more of a sliding scale for power. Mm -hmm. I, I would love to see something like that. I'd just like to see me gun gaga. <laughs> 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 
<laughs> a uh, cloud flashback. A cloud well, flashback. No! <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, from Divine Zarinus said, I think Final Fantasy VII Remake does a good job of being character-driven, at least so far, but they change too much plot-wise. What are your thoughts on how this game sets up the rest of the parts? Kind of curious how the first part will hold up after the whole game is completed. So... We'll kind of address that here in final thoughts, but there's just a few more delicious statements that people made from <laughs> duct tape plays said is final fantasy seven remake just going to end up being part of kingdom hearts <laughs> slide Bob. Will there be a goofy DLC <laughs> and oh, <no>. Joypad lad shop <laughs> replied? Well, cloud already was in like 10 other games. So I guess why not? So <laughs> final statements and thoughts about the future of this, uh, and again, we kind of address this on your show, so I almost want to frame it differently. Um, yes. But you're, you, I mean, you could safely say that you're excited for the next part. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I think I don't want to condemn it before it's had a chance to tell its full story, so to speak. Yeah. So I'm going to try and be as positive as possible about mm-hmm. it. There are issues that I had with the first part of Remake for sure, but... I'm reasonably hopeful that going forwards they'll address them. The thing that I'm looking for is just then bring bringing a coherent narrative together out of it because there's a lot of pitfalls in this story that they've kind of set up. So here's a question for you. What would be the one scene coming that you're looking forward to seeing most in this new realization of this world? So for me... It's a really easy answer. It's Bugenhaven. Oh, really? It's <laughs> floating shaman body. Just yes. saying that, yeah. Because one of the things that I feel, like I was saying earlier, with the characters that have got that connection to the planet, like Aerith, like Red 13, I believe Bugenhagen is one of those people. And I believe he's going to have some really interesting insights on what's going on, the state of the planet, the state of the live stream. Because one of the first times that some of those characters hear the planet, is when you take them into that observatory because Bugenhagen's like, can you hear them, the cries of the planet, and you hear it coming through all the machinery that he's got there. Hmm. So I'm expecting him to be heavily involved in this kind of separate, because you've got the remake narrative where they're trying to be reasonably faithful, go to the same locations, all that sort of thing. But then you've got this secondary narrative where Aerith knows stuff, Sephiroth knows stuff, Sephiroth's trying to change things, and I think Bugenhagen's going to fall more into that that's what I'm hoping for, at least, and I think it would be it'd be a pretty mind blowing scene in general. Even if none of that happens and we just get basically the OG scene, uh, Bugenhagen at Cosmo Canyon, definitely. I mean, it's a very exposition heavy scene, so it's important. Yes. It's a, it's a centerpiece in the narrative. Uh, I I agree. I mean, it would be nice if he could lay it all out and explain it for us, so that we don't have to keep relying on developers making hints and things like that uh and at a certain point they're going to have to pull back the veil at a certain point they they have to stop being mysterious and get on with the story and i think that would be the perfect place to do so we'll see if they even include it (laughs) in the next part at all uh but yeah this is why i'm praying we get to nibelheim because imagine the game wrapping up with cosmo canyon with bugenhagen and then things going down in Nibelheim because in the original game you bump into Sephiroth there he throws a chunk of material I think it's the destroy material or Mm -hmm. destruct material 
he launches that at you and you have a bit of dialogue with him, they could easily change that up and make that a much bigger event. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I'm hopeful, very hopeful. Well, for me, you know, and I express thoughts on on the future in in your show, so listeners definitely go catch that. But in brief, I would say that uh, what I would look forward to most is Gold Saucer. I I really just want if there's any place to stop and just do chores, <laughs> it's the gold saucer. I just want to ride the roller perfect, coaster and shoot at things. It'd be a perfect side quest hub as well. It would. I mean, it's that's yeah. what it is in the original. Yep. Plus, it's got. It's got Kate Siv in there. So yeah, and I just oh dude. So, you know, I'm, I was disappointed with Kate Sith in this part one. He just pops up as stupid. But I want to see yeah. what the whole pot, big fat pile of crap Kate Sith is going to look like in this highly realistic world. This this anthropomorphic cat riding on top of a fat moogle It's going to be so crazy. It's going to be it's so crazy. Be yeah. So. It's going to be one of those things that, yeah, even though I'm not the biggest fan of Kate Sith, I need to see that. Right, like, I, I feel that I need to see that. It's it, it's on the same level as Barrett in a sailor uniform, yeah. and Red Thirteen. Oh yeah, and Red Thirteen in a Shimri uniform. Yes. on the boat. Like, yes. that's the level it's on. Yeah, what is it? What it. is the line? You look like a bear in a marshmallow. I, I can't. Yeah, that kind of stuff. Those really cartoony things that Seven was great about balancing. Because again, yes. so you bring up the boat sequence. That sequence underscores just how deftly Seven could jump from absolutely silly to absolutely serious. You, you would yeah, go. Like, from, oh my god! How have we gone to this? Right, because you would go from Red Thirteen standing on his hind legs trying to walk around, and like <laughs> nobody's going to be like, "Oh yeah, that's totally like a soldier." To the very next Yuffie scene is like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> to the very next scene, you're you're uh, you're um, fighting uh, Genova. In the yep. in the bottom of the boat, so and people are getting killed and stuff like that. So that balance is something I really want to see. But absolutely, I felt cheated by Advent Children not getting full Kate Sith with like his megaphone riding the doll, all that stuff. He was just the. And the could black we cat. see? Could we see that? I mean, I I honestly wouldn't be amazed if once Kate Sith joins the party, like I think we'll see Kate Sith on the big thing in, <laughs> in the gold saucer that's the best word i've got for it right, thing. Right, right. thing. <laughs> but i think we will see that we'll get that payoff definitely but when kate sith joins the party will we see that more symbiotic relationship with red 13 in combat i, I think that's possible yeah yeah i mean well will even kate sith be a playable character hopefully uh imagine yeah. imagine his dice and slots like in in a realistic setting oh my that's ridiculous. <laughs> it's ridiculous. It is so ridiculous. Wait a minute. I need to roll some dice. Give me a minute, everybody. <laughs> oh, man. Okay, you lose. Can't wait. Can't wait. <laughs> well, we got some final things to tie up here. A few more audience questions. By the way, yes. if you want to ask a question or share a comment to get a mention on this show like these other fine folks, then you need to keep an eye out on my Twitter at the Well Red Mage, where I announce the topics for each MageCast episode in advance. Or you can also email me at contact at the uh next episode we're going to be talking about metroid prime so start thinking about that and i'm delighted to be talking to one of the uh designers who worked on the graphics and the art in metroid prime so look forward to that get your your questions set here are a few final questions 
All right, and Aeros Elric asked this question, what's your thoughts on introducing playable characters through paid DLC? With Yuffie's introduction in Intergrade, I'm worried I may have to pay another $20 to play Vincent Valentine, and I'm not investing in a new Dirge of Cerberus. <laughs> no, no, not again. Uh, I'm not investing in a new Dirge of Cerberus again. <laughs> yeah, no, no, a- absolutely not. Uh, do you think that we'll see kind of these side characters getting paid DLC down the road? Personally, I don't think we will. So after the Yuffie DLC dropped, there was an interview, I believe it was with Namora, but it might have been with um, one of the others, I think Hamaguchi maybe. But what this, I think it was Namora. I'm going to be honest. I'm I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to commit. It was Namora. (laughs) (laughs) But basically what he said, what he said was that, there's no plans to do future DLC okay. until the end of Final Fantasy VII Remake as a project. Okay. And that's kind of what's fueled this thought in my head that the Yuffie DLC was literally not to introduce Yuffie, but to test the PS5, basically, and to facilitate upgrading the game to the PS5. That That's personally what I think. So I wouldn't say that you would have to worry about a Vincent Valentine DLC, but... We all saw Final Fantasy fifteen, and all of the DLC that came with that, with the character stories, like that's essential content, and it was locked off as DLC. Right. So, as long as they don't fall into the same pitfall they did with fifteen, we should be good. Right. I I am very much against. I'm glad you brought that up. I forgot about it. I'm very much against yeah. blocking character development and background behind yes. DLC. I think that's bad. One of my major problems with 15, like there was the gameplay issues, there was the narrative issues, but I feel that the narrative issues are resolved if you include all of those DLC as part of the game. Mm. Mm-hmm. It gives so much more content, and I haven't played through 15 with all of the DLCs. I've played through it with like one or two of them. Okay. Because I was just like, I'm, I'm really unhappy with this. Right. It, it, it soured the experience for me. I will go back one day. I've still not played the Arden DLC. And I heard that one was so good. So I do need to. Yeah, apparently it is really good. And there was additional DLCs that they caught. And it's like, how much content did you leave out of this game, boys? Come on. To make room for those cup noodles. Got to make room. Oh, my God. <laughs> I'm sorry oh, I had to bring no. that up. I'm sorry. Well, as long as they don't fall into those pitfalls again, I think we're good. And I think I think with Final Fantasy VII, they realize that if they do stuff like that, they're going to really annoy the fan base. Yeah. And like, I mean, yeah. The seven fan base is rabid when it gets going. So, yeah, I think they, I think they know better. I hope Hopefully. they know better. Hopefully. Yeah. Hopefully they don't have to get the those kind of paid uh, things in this game. Yeah. Because that would be yeah. a massive turn. If you want to think about one change that they could make, that would probably turn off a majority of people. That would be it. DLCs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And one thing that I would say is I'm hopeful that they won't feel the need to do that because they've got, like, Ever Crisis and the First Soldier coming, and they're going to be heavily monetized mobile games. So Yeah, I just learned that. That's going to be where they get that, yeah. Yeah. It's a shame about Ever Crisis. No, it it is. is. I I was looking forward to that. the First Soldier, I get it. Right. Yeah, it's not a remake. And then Ever Crisis, I'm like, oh, this is the remake I wanted. Sweet. And then they're like, oh, yeah, it's going to have gotcha stuff. I'm like, ah, forget it. Forget it. All right. And it just puts me in mind of like Brave Exvius and things like that. That's what I'm expecting from it now. Right. So maybe they'll do a third remake (laughs) eventually. That's that's called a port. That's a port or remaster. That's the SNES version. 
Yes. <laughs> the homebrew a, a one. Remake. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right, Teacher Bloke 85 asks, seeing as game difficulty is a big topic at the moment, what did you think of Remake's hard mode? By completely disabling items, does it encourage tactical thinking or is it just a nuisance or both? Uh, did you play the hard mode on this? I have played the hard mode. I've not played all the way through it because I kind of wanted to save something for when I get a PS5 and do a playthrough. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, I have done a few chapters on hard mode, hard mode, you know, just to kind of experience it. Mm-hmm. And I kind of feel that it isn't a massive step up in difficulty. I do feel that it is more inconvenience than difficulty. Mm-hmm. Like, there are ways around not being able to use items. You can spam the save function and break boxes to recover your MP between fights. It's just kind of, it's just a restriction. I would have much preferred it if they'd have put more thought into the actual boss. And I'm not saying they didn't put any thought into the bosses. Right. Like some of them do get more difficult, and like the the move patterns that they go through change in hard difficulty and things like that. But restricting items in combat, yes. Outside of combat, I'm not a big fan of. Mm-hmm. Uh, at Srick360, final question, asked, well, first he said, welcome back, MageCast. Thank you. Uh, here's the real question, and this is the real question. Do you think Square has the nerve to kill Aerith again? Seems like they refuse to off any characters this time because it may hurt their marketability, which I feel is a mistake because that's what made the story more impactful. Your thoughts, sir? So... that's a big question there's a couple of there's a couple of layers to this one yeah so first off i do think they have got the nerve to kill Aerith again i think they will literally kill any character if it suits the narrative they'll kill tifa if it comes down to it and that would just break the hearts of three quarters of the fan base but i do feel that they would the question is will they Mm -hmm. now i kind of feel like they're trying to set everybody up and make us think that they're not going to kill people off I genuinely feel that things won't go down the same as they did in the OG. So I don't think a certain person... Uh, we're just going to say it, aren't we? I don't think Aerith's going to get killed where she does in the OG. Where she does. I, 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 yeah, I don't think that's going to happen. Okay. But I do think it's potentially still going to happen. Because... It is kind of essential to the narrative and the function of the way things go down. Right. I do feel that with loss being one of the main themes of the game, we are going to suffer some loss. I don't necessarily think it has to be Aerith, mm-hmm. but I feel that that's potentially where they're going to get the biggest effect. I think if they convince people throughout the game that loss is less of a theme and you don't have to worry about your characters dying because the whispers will sweep in and save them, I think that leads to a potentially more impactful scene of Aerith dying than it does with any other character dying. Yeah. So I kind of feel like it, it it could happen. I think they will do it if they have to, but I don't know where the narrative's going. Yeah. It's it's Whew. tough. I it is tough. Uh and yeah, I mean, so you, you mentioned it could break the hearts of a third of the fan base. The fan base is a mess, let's be honest. I mean yeah. <laughs> so I've had people say I'm not welcome in the Final Fantasy community. And I will tell you, I've lost exactly Ludicrous. zero sleep over that because I know. the community. Like if anyone, if anyone's not welcome, it's the people telling people that they're not welcome. Exactly, and I'm. Yeah. I create my own community. I'm fine interacting with other communities. 
uh, fandom as an overarching kind of group with its own rules and things like that doesn't interest me yeah. at all. But I mean, I've talked to people deep in the fandom, like deep in the fandom, who yes. who are like, well, I think they're going to kill Cloud and Tifa, but keep Aerith alive. And I'm like, I think you're insane. I'm sorry, I, I do. I think you're nuts. Why are you, why are you being crazy? Right. I mean, you, you're going to kill every... I get that you love Aerith. And there are people who love these characters to death. Like, literally. Yeah. And past death, literally. Oh, oh, yes. Yeah. Both, many sides of the fence. I was going to say both sides of the fence then, but it's not even just limited to those two characters. It's not even just limited to fences. It's, yeah. it's every, yeah, it's everybody. I mean, you've yeah. got shippers and the intensity of conversations that I've had last year is, cannot be understated. So I will personally burn with the fury of a thousand suns if they do anything to Sid. So I mean, yeah, saying. there you go. So like, <laughs> <laughs> I could not see them killing Sid in place of Eris. That'd be hilarious. It would be hilarious. Be like, Why? Right. So to, I mean, to kind of tie it in, I I think they would be making a huge error if they do not enact one of the most, if not the most, memorable iconic and impactful deaths in gaming history i cannot think personally of a more impactful death of a character oh definitely and yeah definitely because the whole that is left in your experience of the game because she is your mage right without her you have no mage. right and and not and not in the hole that's left in in cloud I mean, and narratively, right? Yeah, 100%. It, it that moment decides the rest of the game. So if yes. they choose to either skip that moment or eradicate it by, say, having her killed and then bringing her back to life, that is yeah. going to remove any possibility of you know the cloud in a wheelchair, depressed. All of that sense of loss is gone. And so I personally hope that they go through with it. Uh, do you think that they they will then? Do you, I mean you you think that this is going to be something that's that's going to happen? It depends. I see. It's really tough. It depends where they're going with this narrative because if they want to stay faithful to the original and like as faithful as possible, then yes, I'd agree. They need to do that. But like I say, I think we're in for big changes, and I think that not happening. At the point, it does at the very least, because I'm quite open to the possibility that it will happen later. Like In the original game, when Aerith dies, you go and do your little snowboarding thing, and you land in the um, whirlwind maze, I believe it is. Mm -hmm. If you've used like an Explorer card or something like that, or an action replay, and kept Aerith in your party, she has dialogue in that area. Mm. She has specific dialogue that is just her. And that indicates to me that there was a plan for her to survive a little bit longer at the very least. Mm -hmm. And I think we could see her maybe reach the Northern Crater. Mm -hmm. So everyone will be convinced it's not going to happen. We've gone past that scene. It's not going to happen. You've ruined the game. Oh my God, how's the planet going to survive now? Because Aerith's not in the live stream to, you know, bolster Hole mm -hmm. and stop Meteor. She's not there now to do that. And then when we get to the North Crater, more happens. And mm -hmm. potentially it still happens, but there... It really makes you wonder. I mean, could that dialogue have been past the the point of her death? It could have been something that maybe they were to visit that area earlier. It's so difficult yeah. to say, but obviously stories change in the development oh, of 100%. those stories. 
Uh, and obviously this story is changing in the development of this specific story as well. Uh, I just hope they go through with it. Um, yeah, I want to see them commit now. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, uh, and I hope that too. If they commit to it, that she stays dead. That there's no kind of wishy washy. The ghosts appear and bring her back to life. I don't. I don't want to see any of that. If if that was foreshadowing with Barrett, I don't want to see any of that Ooh. at all. <laughs> at all. Not like that. Definitely not like that. No. The thing I would say is, if they are going to keep her alive, it needs to be a well executed. Mm-hmm. B it needs to make sense and C it needs to have a purpose. Right. It needs to as long have... as we tick those three boxes, I'd be okay with it. Right. It needs to have more purpose than just fans like the character. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. It can't just be a fan service thing. It's gotta be narratively essential. Thank you. There's gotta be something that makes it make sense. If you do that and pull that off, I'm on board. Yes, absolutely. Uh Final, final question. What are your thoughts on new characters? Which is the most irritating? Roche. <laughs> I mean, yeah, yeah, definitely Roche. But he's irritating for me. First off, I don't like the nonsense with the bike. I'm, 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 I hate that even when Cloud does it. You know, I, I hate it when any of them do it. I just hate it. I don't know why. I, I just hate it. But for Roche, the biggest thing for me was the disappointment. They introduced this new character and then did nothing with him. And he is in the intermission DLC. He does pop up only briefly. But going forwards, I'm hopeful that they improve him because in the original game, there was a cut thread line, uh, a story thread, which was for Yuffie, where she was kind of like a, a bounty hunter that was chasing the party. That was going to be Yuffie's original story in the original game. And I feel like that is a perfect role for Roche to fit. Mm. Like, he's chasing Cloud down now. And layered on top of that, you've got this weird little bromance that he wants with him as well. (laughs) But he was definitely the weirdest of the new characters. And I feel that they needed to do more with him. Definitely the most disappointing. Uh, There's a lot of people who don't like Chadley either, apparently. I feel Chadley's going to have quite a bit of importance, you know. I I know a lot of people don't like him, and his presentation does leave a little bit to be wanted, but I think he's going to tie in with the whole experimentation, soldier, uh, Hojo. I think he's going to be really important. Wow. Like, he's going to be one of those additions that becomes big. That's my prediction, at least. Wow. You just broke some people's hearts right now. (laughs) I think we'll definitely see him again, because... And one thing I would say, if they do bring in that materia fusion system, like I was talking about earlier, the perfect avenue for it is through Chadler. And it lets him stay with the party and keep up with them and keep an eye on them and report back to Hojo with reports and all that sort of business. So it do, he is an interesting character, but he is. I can see why people look at him and shudder. <laughs> exactly. Well, sir... I think we've come to the end of all things. Uh, it's, it'll be a long <laughs> the edge of creation. Yeah, it'll be a long time before we get to the end of Final Fantasy VII Remake as a project. But this episode's over. So, where can our listeners find you? Uh, and if you want to say a few final words on things you're working on, that would be fantastic. You can find me on Twitter at twitter.com slash sector underscore and then the number six and then another underscore. Uh, you can also find me on YouTube at youtube.com forward slash sector six UK, all as one word. Um, at the minute, project wise, I'm kind of breaking apart all these translations that we're getting at the minute. I'm kind of going to start diving into that. 
Uh, and on top of that, I'm editing together the series that we've worked on, uh, that I've got yourself appearing on. I've got loads of other people appearing on it as well. I'm reaching out to the next kind of wave of people that I want to get on as well. So, yeah, it's all go at the minute. So definitely get over to the YouTube channel and check all that out. Absolutely. And, sir, thanks so much for spending this time with me uh, talking about oh, Final Fantasy VII. I, I had a lot of fun. And, you know, uh, I think... We, we've said some great things here. I hope it encourages a lot of people to speak more uh, honestly, candidly, and earnestly yes. about this game. Yeah, this is it. You don't have to like it, regardless of what certain people in the community might act like. You don't have to like everything about the game, and just because you don't like something doesn't mean your opinion's invalid on it, 100%. Wise words. Wise words. Well, sir, we'll be talking in the future. Thanks so much. You have a great day. Yeah, same to you. Thank you very much for having me on. Take care. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. Let's keep the conversation going. You can learn more by visiting thepixels.com. That's the-pixels.com and patreon.com forward slash thepixels. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss another entry of MageCast. This episode may be over, but the legend will live on. Passed down by the dwarves, the elves, and the dragons. <laughs>